0: It is good to be with you here today, and I want to thank you all for the opportunity to come and worship with you. And I've got to admit, I'm a little bit nervous. And There's two reasons why I'm very nervous. Despite this being my job, public speaking that I do every week, one is that screen right there that I can see myself on, and I'm not a fan of, because this is not a face that was made for HD. And I spent the past two years avoiding watching myself on YouTube, and so I'm going to try not to focus on that in any way, shape, or form. The other reason why I'm nervous is that in this building, I think I know three of you. And one of you I only just met this week. And it's a little bit nerve-wracking to get up here and stand in front of people who are kind of essentially strangers. You know, we don't really know each other well at all. For those of you who walked in late, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor from Ebenezer Church in Trenton. That's about as much introduction as some of us may get today. But even though we don't really know each other kind of at all, we're here together as part of God's family. And we are brought into that family by his Holy Spirit. We're here because even if we have so little else in common, we share a belief and a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's so many metaphors that the church uses to describe that kind of collective believers. You know, they might talk about the body, the flock, the family. But I'm originally from Prince Edward County, which has become wine country. So in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be talking about being part of a garden, part of a fruitful grapevine. So this morning we're going to reflect on John 15, and we'll be reading the first 12 verses. So you can follow along in the Bibles that you have with you, your favorite Bible app, but it will also be up on the screen for you as well. So beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. In this passage, we are all cast into these intertwined roles. Christ is the vine. We are the branches that grow in the vine. And we know that the Father is the gardener. And so his children are planted by the gardener. And he prunes us, And also that we might produce fruit. Now Jesus begins this story without much pause from the earlier section. If you were reading along in your Bibles, you would have seen that in some printings, there isn't even a break in quotation marks from chapter 14. And this is all a part of Jesus' swan song. Some of his final words and speeches to his disciples that comes after he has predicted his betrayal, but before he has been arrested and gone on trial. And in this particular speech, Jesus is employing this metaphor that casts him as the vine, with his people as the branches, and God the Father as the vinekeeper. So he is the mediator between us. In the same way that scripture will call him the bread of life, the true light, the door, the good shepherd, he is always the source of life that we are planted in. And this image of the vine specifically was frequently used for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, because even as God's chosen people, they were also still just people. They were flawed, and they were capable of failing. But what Israel lacked, where Israel failed, Christ is equipped, and Christ has succeeded in providing the people of God with life and with growth. And so now, near the culmination of his earthly ministry, he roots himself in an image of the earth by declaring, as he so often does in scripture, I am. I am the true vine. The true source of life and of growth. The only source of life and growth for its branches. And the Jewish people of that time And so the early listeners of these words of Jesus and readers of the book of John, they'd always had a strong consciousness of the land. They were a people group whose lives had revolved around the land. They had a strong sense of place and of being rooted in it. And so in a subtle way, Jesus begins to change that. What people are to be rooted in and planted in now is Jesus Christ and their relationship with him. The vineyard, the vine, is no longer a physical place but a spiritual place, the connection to the Savior and Redeemer, because the vine is a living and thriving thing that gives life to all of its branches that grow from it. So there has to be kind of an experiential element to our faith and our relationship with Christ. It would be like if two people started dating long distance so they never actually spend any time together. They never work outside together, they never shop together, never make any decisions together, they never even take any selfies together. Is that actually a relationship? Or is it just somebody that you kind of know? It's the same with Jesus Christ. We can have all the knowledge that we want, but we need to experience each in our own way the intimacy of being connected to the vine, being planted in the vineyard, and rooted in the very identity as children of God. The verb used for this connection of Christ in us and us in him is meno, which means to dwell. But it also means to remain and to abide in. So to dwell for a long time. It implies an existing relationship, but also means that we remain in expectation, assured of a continuing relationship. So that when Christ tells us to make him our dwelling, he is both reassuring us of his love and promising us the faithfulness of his love in the days ahead. There's a reason that so many religions, so many stems and strands of spirituality speak about connection about being in tune with an energy source. And it's why I imagine many of us are here today. It's why we go to fireworks or parades or host family dinners or watch hockey games together. It's why these past two years have been so hard for so many people because we've missed that feeling of being connected to one another in a real and visible and tangible way. And Our passage shows that we need that connection We need to dwell and abide with something bigger than ourselves, with our vine, our true source of life. That is what will sustain us. That is what will give our lives joy and color and truth and meaning. And I think that's what we all want. And it's what Christ, the true vine, gives. When we remain attached to Christ, he maintains a vital relationship of mystery and fruitfulness. We are planted in Christ, rooted in him and of him. And we develop what's been called an interior life of intimacy that will eventually grow and burst forth into the world so that all may see and be amazed by its fruit. Jesus has made us of the old sacred image in Judaism as the vine of Israel, the covenant people of God planted and tended by him to bear fruit. It's something familiar, but perhaps also maybe a little bit tired, maybe a little bit cliched at this point. And so that's why he turns it on its head so that now he is the true vine and all of us are branches. We have been planted and now we must be pruned. And that is first and foremost just practical. Trimmed branches will ultimately produce more fruit, and the dead ones are cut away to make room for that fruit. Now, the Greek word for trimming is kathairo, And it's very closely connected to the word used in this passage for clean and cleansed. katharos, Because pruning still happens to those who are already cleansed in Christ. Followers of Jesus can be assured of their salvation for eternal life. But this pruning is a continued cleansing, an ongoing sanctification to become more and more Christ-like and more and more fruitful. Because I think so often when we think about this passage, we think simply about chucking away the dead branches into the fire. And I'll admit, I'd kind of always thought about it that way. This cautionary tale to make sure that I bear enough fruit and do enough hard work, but it's not just about ripping away the branches that don't bear fruit. It's about shaping and tying back the branches in such a way that they'll be most effective and pruning and trimming the little bits and rough edges that keep it from being at its most spectacular. Our lives all have little bits and rough edges that keep us from being at our most spectacular. We all make mistakes. We all have our weaknesses and our room for growth. But we also all have someone to help us, tend to us, cultivate us, prune us. Some Bible resources refer to God the Father, the gardener, as the vine dresser. It's an old-fashioned term that has a bit of a different connotation. Because a dresser suggests someone who isn't just hacking away at the old branches, but who is dressing the plant, clothing and equipping and beautifying it. No, nature doesn't waste time just being good-looking, but it doesn't mind making an effort. And that needs to be sustained. It needs a source of life that takes care of it. It needs deep connection. And that requires belief. Belief is vital for life. When the original play version of Peter Pan was first produced in 1904, they had the fairy Tinkerbell as just a light on the background. And that fairy nearly dies because too many people don't believe in fairies anymore. And so as part of the play, the audience had to bring her back to life by clapping to show that they believe. Don't worry, I'm not making you do that today. I thought about it because you had a great light system, but then I thought against it. Without belief, she would have died. Without belief, there is no real life. Without belief, without a faith that fosters deep connection and love and trust, we are not truly living. And the fruit of that belief is a natural consequence of Christ's redemptive work in our lives, what's been called the vine's pulsating life. Now, A few years ago, I had the chance to see the world's largest grapevine, which is certified by Guinness World Records. And it's housed at Hampton Court Palace in England, in a greenhouse that visitors aren't allowed to enter but just look into. So the pictures are a little bit blurry because I had to take them through the glass. Now, according to the information available, the vine at that time was 3.8 meters in circumference, and its branches were, on average, about 33 meters long, although the longest had grown up to 75 meters. And the great vine, and everything else at Hampton Court, is carefully tended, so that the integrity of the original is preserved, but so that it will also still be fruitful. And even though this particular vine is behind glass, The rest of the gardens are all free to wander. You're actually allowed to touch a lot of the antiques, and you can actually even sit on one of the thrones that they have there. They even have actors wandering around playing the parts of Henry VIII and his wife, and then his next wife, and then his next wife, next wife, next wife, so on and so forth. It's not just a museum. It's a place where people can learn and explore and have fun maybe not unlike churches are supposed to be. We can't just be museums of artifacts and information tucked away in books and files. We can't be branches with no fruit. We need to be places where people can learn and explore and have fun. It's been said that our love for Jesus is the wellspring of our obedience to Him. That if we love Him, Then following his commands will become more and more a part of who we are, however slowly that might take. So, our obedience is a demonstration of the reality of love. We are fruitful in the world because we are loved. And in some ways, it is just that simple. If we abide in the love of Christ, if we are planted and we allow ourselves to be pruned, then we will produce. we don't do good works so that we will be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Because true branches and true believers will produce fruit. It's just a part of who they are. No follower of Christ, however new or inexperienced, doesn't have some measure of fruit. Even though the fruit that we produce is all going to look very different. Now, here in your church family, there are probably countless countless ways that you're reaching out to one another and to your community. As we were preparing for the service, Pastor Nicole told me about your new Share campaign and your response to God's call to reach out to your community in new and radical ways. I'm guessing that there's probably been many ways that you've already been doing that. Maybe you've been regularly phoning those who've been isolated because of the pandemic or you've been dropping off meals and treats for them. Maybe one of you has been volunteering somewhere, or a group of you have been intentionally helping out the people who live on your road. Maybe it's something even more radical and out of the box that you've never done before. Or maybe it's something that's radical just because of its simplicity. All of that is the kind of fruit that Jesus calls us to bear the kind of fruit that we are producing, even if we don't always see it ourselves, because we never know where even the smallest of efforts could lead. Now, the fruit that we produce as children is naturally going to look different than the fruit that we produce as adults. The fruit that we produce when we're starting out in our first jobs is going to look different than the fruit we produce when we retire. So all of these branches need each other in order to produce all the different varieties of fruit that this orchard, this garden needs. And to reassure us that we don't need to be worried about being cut away. We don't need to worry about being enough, doing enough, producing enough. Because when we remain connected to the vine, when we recognize that we have been planted and are being pruned by him, we will produce. It is a natural and unavoidable byproduct of being in relationship with Christ. When we seek first the kingdom of God, and when we strive in even the smallest of ways to follow Him, we will also be cared for in that work, tended to and looked after, grown into this incredible grapevine that bursts out of its glass casing. If you ask any of the winemakers or the vine dressers in the county or Niagara or the Okanagan, or ask any one of the farmers or avid gardeners who might be here today, they'll tell you that a master gardener isn't just one who plants seeds and decides to be done. Instead, a master gardener will carefully tend to us, growing us into who we are meant to be for the beauty and glory of the garden, his kingdom on heaven and on earth. And he invites each one of us to be a part of that. So as a response to that invitation, and as an encouragement for the work that he has set out for us to do, we have the opportunity now to share in communion, So just another reminder that if you plan to use one of the pre-packaged elements and you haven't picked one up yet, they are available at the back of the sanctuary if you'd like to do that now. And this sacrament is sometimes called the Lord's Supper. But what I love about the term communion is the acknowledgement that it's something that we do together in community, together with one another and together with God, all connected as part of the family All connected as part of the vine, knowing that our gardener, our vine dresser, gave himself for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could grow and we could flourish, free from the bonds of fear and pain and of death. So as we begin this time, I invite you to please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit would continue to be at work in each of our hearts and lives. May these symbols of bread and juice be powerful reminders of Christ's sacrifice and his grace for us. Convict and encourage us to reach out and share your love with the world around us. Strengthen and equip us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.